if you have your Bibles with you this morning, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 6. We're just going to stick in this one section today. Last week I had you running all over the place in your Bibles, so we're going to kind of calm down a little bit this week and just stick to one text. And we're continuing our series called Faith Forward. And the whole idea behind Faith Forward is that when you decided to follow Jesus, faith was born inside of your heart. And everything was contained inside of it that would take you from the place you are to live a transformed life, to live out all of the plans and purposes that God has for you and that he saved you for. Well, if you aren't making deliberate decisions and developing deliberate disciplines in your life, what happens is the faith becomes stunted and it doesn't ever grow and progress into the fullness of what God has for you. It's like having a baby. Everything that that baby needs to grow and to mature is contained in the DNA of that baby, and they don't stay stunted. They, they grow. They get bigger. There's nothing you can do to stop them from getting bigger. My kids just keep growing, and they keep eating more and more and breaking more things. But they're supposed to do that. It's what they were created for. It's what they were made to do. It's the natural outworking of the way God made them. And the same is true for our faith, is that it has to continue to mature. It has to keep growing. It has to keep moving forward. And this whole series has been about the disciplines and the decisions that you make to enable your faith to continue to move forward. And today we're going to be talking about the decision and the discipline of prayer. And there's been, I can't even express to you what an important role prayer has played in maturing my faith. Because what it has done is the discipline of prayer and deciding to be someone who prays has made it so that my faith grew in who God is. The more I prayed, the more I got to know him, the more I, I was able to understand his nature and his character, his heart, his personality. And then I also began to understand or have more faith for God's power. We would all agree that God is all-powerful, that nothing is impossible for him, but a lot of times when we come up into a situation where it's an impossibility in the natural, it's hard to put our faith in the God that we say is all-powerful. It's easy to accept impossibilities. It's easy to accept roadblocks and to not pass through them. But when you start praying, what happens is you begin to see God move in miraculous ways and to do things that are beyond yourself. And your faith grows to believe that God really is all-powerful and that nothing is impossible for him. Now, the more you know God and the more your faith moves in who God is and what he's able to do, the more your faith is going to grow and move forward in who it is that God has called you to be. If you don't know who God is and you don't know his power, then you'll never believe God to be the one who's able to shape you into a son or into a daughter and to use you to greatly see his kingdom expand on the face of the earth. So we have to become people who pray so that we can move our faith forward into that. And Jesus gave us a model of how it is that we are supposed to pray. And it says this in Matthew chapter 6, When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go to your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, I'll pause real quick right there. Some people have taken this verse to, to mean that you can't pray in public, that if you're praying in public, that you're a hypocrite, that all prayer has to be done privately and secretly, or there won't be any reward for it. What Jesus is doing is he's showing the contrast between people who are praying publicly only so that they can receive the reward of other people thinking they're very pious and religious and better than them, and saying that the opposite of that is that we're praying for the heart of God. We're, we're doing this for Jesus. It's a real thing. It's not to try to look good in front of other people, but it's because we're actually seeking after Jesus. 
Jesus prayed in public all of the time, and we see that all through Scripture. So pray in public, pray in private. Both of them are important to why we pray, but the heart motivation behind it is what Jesus is addressing in that. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. As Jesus is going through giving us a model for the way we're to pray, he's not saying this is the prayer that you have to pray every time. Uh, That would go against the whole thing about not praying with repetition like the Gentiles do. What he's doing is helping us to understand the heart behind prayer. He's helping us to understand the motivation behind prayer. He's giving us a model for the way that we can pray in a way that is effective and in a way that lines up with the way that God wants to communicate with us. And the first thing that he says about prayer is that reward is our motivation. Now, it might sound weird to say you pray because there's a reward for it. Doesn't that seem selfish? Doesn't that seem self-obsessed? And I would say no, that this is what Jesus is saying. Everything that we do in life is because we're seeking a reward for it. There's a reason that some people get up in the morning and they go do CrossFit. And it's not because they like doing CrossFit or because they have all kinds of time on their hands. It's because there's a reward that they're seeking for their body. It's not easy to do that, but there's a reward that they're seeking after. Then there's people like me who like to eat cheese instead of going to do CrossFit. Why do I eat cheese? Because it triggers a release of dopamine in my brain that makes me feel really good and it's delicious. Why do I eat cheese? There's a reward that's associated with it. Why do we pay our mortgages? There's a reward that's associated with paying our mortgage, meaning we don't get kicked out of our home. Why do we go to our jobs in the morning instead of sleeping in? Because there's a reward of a paycheck that comes along with it. Everything that we do is because there's a reward that's associated with it. Even if you wake up in the morning and you decide that you're not going to do anything, it's because you're seeking the reward of not doing anything. Everything we do has a motivation behind it of reward. And what Jesus is saying is that if you don't believe that there's a reward from your Father when you pray, you're not going to pray. In Hebrews it says this, that for us to be able to draw near to God, we have to believe that he is, meaning that we believe that he exists, and also that he's a rewarder of those who seek after him. We have to believe that God is a rewarder for our faith to be able to move forward. We have to believe that God wants to reward us for us to be able to put ourselves in the place of prayer. If you don't believe that, then you will never put yourself in the position of where you pray. So the first thing when we pray is because our motivation, I'm sorry, is because reward is our motivation. And he goes on to say this. This is some of the rewards that we start receiving from him when we pray, is that relationship is our greatest desire. He says that when you pray, you say, Our Father who's in heaven, holy is your name. What he's doing is he's revealing to us that we have a relationship with God, that he's not a far, not a distant, not a removed God, but that he is the God who loves us and who cares for us in the way that a father loves us and cares for us, that we have that kind of an access with him, that he wants that relationship. It's what he's revealed to us as his desire for us in the way that we interact with him. He wants to be our father. My little girl is three months old now, and she doesn't do much, but she does look into my eyes. 
and I'll hold her, and this is like my favorite part of every single day, is I'll pick her up, and she kind of looks at me, and her neck's not real strong yet, so it bobbles around, and I'll, I'll just hold her in front of me. She just looks at me, and she smiles. She makes faces at me. I'm hoping they're good faces. But she just, all she wants to do is just make eye contact all the time. I look away, I'm talking to one of my other kids, and I look back, and she's just been looking. She's been waiting for me the whole time. All that she wants is eye contact with me. All that she wants is a relationship with me. She doesn't care about Paw Patrol yet. She doesn't care about uh, Frozen. She doesn't care about like monster trucks or any of the other things. My other kids, they still want relationship with me, but other things have developed. There are other interests, other desires that my other children have developed, so now they don't want to just sit there all day and look into my eyes and smile at me. I have to convince them to do that and bribe them to do that. But my little girl, all she knows is relationship. She doesn't want toys. She doesn't want TV. She doesn't want anything else. She just wants attention, and love, and relationship from her daddy. Jesus is saying that your greatest desire should be that kind of relationship with your heavenly father. That that's what's made available to you through prayer. So we come to the place of prayer and we say, my father in heaven, I just want you. You're my greatest desire. All these other things have popped up. We're not into Paw Patrol, but you know, maybe you're into Lost or Survivor or something. Maybe you don't care about monster trucks, but you have a job or a career that you're trying to advance. You have all of these other things that are going on, other things that are vying for your attention, your time and your focus that are pulling you away so that the one thing that you need the most, which is time and relationship with your father, now that's just been on the back burner. You've missed over it. You're missing out on the greatest thing that God has for you. It's just that relationship with him. And the way that we experience God as a father the way that we connect with him, the way that we begin to grow in that. You might say, well, I don't know God that way. Well, the way that you learn to develop that is in the place of prayer. When you come before him and you say, God, you're my father, and I want to know you more than anything else. I want to know your love. I want to know your affection for me. Jesus, I want relationship with you. I think too many times what happens is we think of our heavenly father like we think of loved ones that have gone before us into heaven already. My father-in-law was about five years ago now that he went to be with Jesus, and I would give anything. Like, I would give up any toy that I have, any gift that I have, any of those things, so I could just have relationship with him again. And I know that I will have that again when I get into heaven, but until that time, there's a void, there's a distance where I don't communicate with him. The relationship has stopped now at this point until it's resumed in heaven. I think too many times we think of Jesus as being that way. We think of our Heavenly Father. Oh, he's, he's up in heaven now, and I can't know him. I can't communicate with him. But someday I'll be in heaven, and then I'll know him. That's not the way it works. Your Heavenly Father was so passionate and so committed to relationship with you that he left heaven to come down to you, that he left the glory of heaven. He went to a cross, despised and rejected by those that he would created, by those that he loved, dies and is raised again, so that relationship with our Heavenly Father can be restored. You don't have to wait till heaven to know your Father, to build relationship with Him, to know Him deeply and intimately. That's been made available to us now through the cross. So when we pray, we're seeking a reward, and that greatest reward that we receive 
is Jesus himself. It's knowing him. It's knowing the Father, the one who loves us so much. And every time we go to the place of prayer, when that's our greatest desire, we're able to encounter him. And we're able to grow in our relationship with him. And then it continues on. It says, the kingdom is our model. Jesus says, pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And what Jesus is doing is he's telling us what it is that we pray for. There's a lot of things that you can pray for. There are a limitless number of things that you could be praying for. Did you know you can pray for the wrong things? You can pray for things that are actually bad things for you. When the disciples had been preaching in one of the towns, they rejected them, and they prayed, and they, they tell Jesus, do you want us to call down fire from heaven on them to burn them up? And Jesus is like, no. I know, don't, like, you have completely missed the point. You're praying for something that is wrong. And it's, it's like putting together a puzzle. I don't know if any of you are puzzle people. I am not. I hate puzzles with everything inside of me. I'll buy one. If it's a five-piece puzzle, I'm pretty good at those. But if it's beyond 100, I'll spend a while on it, and I'm just like, oh, I hate it, and I just destroy the whole thing. But if you try to put a puzzle together, the only way you can make the puzzle is if you have a picture of what the puzzle is. Imagine if you take away the picture of the puzzle, a 500-piece puzzle, and you're just having to guess as to what it is. You're never going to put that thing together right. You'll quit that thing. One person's like, no, I can do it. Well, good. But the rest of us, we will all quit. A lot of times when we're praying, if we don't have a picture or a model of what it is that we're praying for, then we don't know what to pray for, and we can pray for really wrong things. So Jesus says, you want to know what to pray for? Pray, my kingdom come, and my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the model that we have. So this is what that looks like now practically for us. When you encounter something in your life, when you come into a situation or a circumstance, you evaluate it and say, does this thing that I've encountered line up with the kingdom of God? Is this the way that things are being done in heaven? Or is this contrary to that? If this is contrary to the kingdom of God and to the will that God has revealed to us through scriptures, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray, no, God, we don't want this. What we want is your will. What we want is the coming of your kingdom here and now on earth. For example, we know that God's will is that none should perish, but that all should be saved. So if you have a family member, maybe it's a child or a spouse that is far from Jesus and not following after them, how do you pray for them? You don't pray, God, burn them up, send fire. That's not what he's revealed as his will is. What he's prayed, or what God has revealed his will is, is that for them to be saved, for them to inherit life, for them to know him, to be adopted into the family of God. So we pray, God, for my spouse, for my child, for my brother, sister, coworker, whatever it is, the way that they are right now is not in alignment with the coming of your kingdom. The way that they are right now does match up with what your will is in heaven. So God, we pray that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done. Jesus, would you reveal yourself? Would you reveal your love? Would you reveal your goodness, your holiness, just how kind you are to them? And Jesus, would that kindness lead them to the place of repentance? According to your will, would it be done here on earth? When we come across people who are sick, we evaluate that. We say, is there sickness in the kingdom of God? Do we see people walking around with cancer in heaven? No. 
Now, we don't live in heaven yet. We still live in the realities of a fallen earth. What we do is we come across this and we recognize this is contrary to the will of God. This is contrary to the way that things are in his kingdom. So we pray, God, would the age that is to come, would your kingdom come now into this earth? Jesus, we know there's no sickness in heaven and in the age to come. So Jesus, would your healing come now to this person? Now, we don't control that. There's been a lot of theologies that say that everybody's going to be healed or that nobody's going to get healed. Those are both wrong. But what we do is we say, your kingdom is coming, and we know what that looks like. Would your kingdom come now? And then we trust Jesus with what happens. It might be there's something in your heart as you're evaluating yourself. Say, God, I'm a jerk. (laughs) I just am. I know there's no jerks in heaven, and I know it's not your will for me to be a jerk. So Jesus, I pray according to your will that you would do something inside of my heart. God, that you would soften my heart. God, that you would give me the ability to think about other people more highly than myself. Jesus, that you would give me a kind tongue in responding to people. Jesus, we know that there's no greed in heaven, but my heart is dealing with it thick right now. Jesus, would you deal with my heart? I pray that your kingdom would come. If you're struggling with anxiety right now, there's no anxiety in the kingdom of God. It doesn't exist. And so we do say, Jesus, I pray that the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which is peace, would be born inside of my heart. A peace that's not dependent upon the situation or the circumstances that I find myself in, but a peace that comes from the outworking and the fruit of the Holy Spirit inside of me. A peace that comes from knowing that you're the one who is in control. A peace that comes from knowing that the kingdom of God is on the move and it's advancing. A peace that comes from knowing that there's nothing that can separate me from your love and from your plans and for your purposes. Jesus, I pray your kingdom come and your will be done as it is in heaven right here in my heart. The kingdom of God, the will of God, that's the lens that we see everything through. It's the model that we have and how we pray and what it is that we're praying for. And then uh, when we pray, petition is our right and our responsibility. Last night, Brielle came up to me. She's three. And so, you know, she's doing some things on her own and then still asking us for help on some things. And she comes up to me and she's like, Daddy, I need some water. And I always mess around with her and my other kids. I'm like, no. You'll never get water again. And she looks at me. She goes, Daddy, be a real daddy. (laughs) You know what real daddies do? They provide for the needs of their children. She knows that. She's only three. I didn't have to sit down and do a systematic theology with her of the nature and the heart of what a father is. She just knows that because of her relationship with me, part of my responsibility is to provide her with the things that she needs to continue to live, like water. So she approaches me with a bold confidence. She wasn't mean about it or demanding, but she knew what she needed, and she knew that I was the one that had the responsibility and the heart to give that to her because of the relationship that we have. You have a father who's in heaven who's invited you, it says that now we now have bold access to the throne of God. That because you're a daughter, because you're a son, you now have the right to approach your father, to go before his, gro- his throne of grace and mercy, and to say, God, this is what I need. That's why Jesus says, pray, give me today my daily bread. He didn't say, give me my filet mignon. 
didn't say, give me my lobster tail. That's what we want to pray. We want extravagant luxury, but that's not what Jesus said. He said, pray, give me my daily bread. Give me sustenance for life. Give me the things that I need so that I can continue to live life and so I can continue to live the life that you've called me to. I have a call on me that takes more than I can provide for myself. So I go before my father and I say, Father, you know what I need. I need bread so that I can live. I need bread so that I can do the things that you have called me to. And I have a bold confidence in doing that because he's a good father. And it's his heart and it's his desire to provide me with all of the things that I need. What happens too many times is we get scared. I don't, you know, I can't approach God. He's God, he's holy, he's just, he's perfect. Yeah, he is all of those things. But he's also given you access to him when he adopted you into his family. Children aren't scared to go to their parents and ask them for what they need. They're bold about it. That's the same way that you've been called to be. For all of the things that you need, God has called you to boldly approach his throne and to petition him for the things that you need. He didn't call you to petition him for Ferraris and Lamborghinis. He called you to petition him for the things that you need to sustain your life and allow you to move into the fulfillment of the call that he has for you. So many times we fall short on what it is that God's called us to, not because God isn't willing or not because God isn't able, but because we never asked. Jesus said, you have not because you ask not. I could just give my kids everything that I know they need and never have them ask me, but that's not the way it works as a parent. You get that. I want them to come to me to ask for different things. There are certain things that I won't give them if they don't come and ask me for them. My heart is to give it to them, but a part of their maturing and growing up is having the courage to come and to ask me so that I can give it to them. It's the same way for us. What is it that you need? What's that daily bread that you need for provision for your life? What's the daily bread, the provision that you need for the call of God on you? This building should be a testament to all of you as to what it is that Jesus can do. When we were a church of 125 people meeting in a movie theater, we didn't have the resources or the funding to do what it was that we needed to do, but we had a father who was good, and he's the father who put all the gold in all of the hills. God has no resource problem. He has a problem with people coming before him to ask him for the things that they need to do what he's called them to do. What do we do as a church? We ask God to provide for us. And he provided miraculously for us. Why? Because he's a good father who gives us everything we need to do everything that he's called us to do. But then it's also not just about us. There's a right that we have to Jesus to petition him, but there's also a responsibility that we have to petition God. And that's for others. That's intercession. That's us coming and saying, God, for other people, I need you to move on their life. Jesus, I need you to reveal yourself to them. Jesus, for this person who's heartbroken right now, God, would you come, and I'm going to come before your throne. I'm going to petition you to bring comfort, to bring you healing for them. Jesus, for this person who's sick. Jesus, for this person who's depressed, for this person who's dealing with bondage issues in their life. Jesus, would you come, and would you do the things in their life that only you can do? We've been called to stand in the gap and to intercede on behalf of other people. Prayer isn't just about us. We have a right to pray, but there's also a responsibility that we have to be those who go before the throne of God for other people as well, even for those who don't know to do it themselves. And then he continues on, and, and he says that by the end of the prayer is that there's a changed heart that is our mark. He says, deliver us from evil. 
Forgive us as we have forgiven other people, and don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, that doesn't mean God leads us into temptation. We know that he doesn't tempt people. What that means is that we have a heart that continually leads us into temptation. Because of sinful desires that we have inside of our hearts, the natural way that we live our life is to continue to do things that are far from the call of God for us. And what we're saying is that, God, I need you to come and to deliver me from that. Instead of allowing my heart to lead me into evil and into temptation, I need you to come and to change my heart so that I'm delivered from all of the desires that I had inside of me that kept leading me to a place of sin. And when that happens, we're completely transformed and changed on the inside. There's the mark of Jesus on us. It sets us apart from everybody else, not to make us better, but to make us vessels that carry and that host the presence of God in our lives. The two people I'm most like in all of this world are my mom and dad. Why is that? Because they're the ones I spent a lot of time with. They're the ones that formed me and shaped my, my, the way I view the world, the way that I live and operate, my morals, my ethics, the way that I interact with other people. I wasn't born knowing those things. I was shaped into those things by my parents because of the fact that I spent time around them. I sound like them when I talk. We have the same accent. Because of the way, just spending time around them, it meant that they were revealing truth to me. Because I spent time around them, I started to process the way that they processed through things. And my parents shaped me by instructing me, by encouraging me, and by correcting me. That's what we do for our kids, and it shapes them. When we spend time with Jesus in prayer, we end up becoming like him. We stop looking like ourselves as much and a lot more like Jesus. The old sinful desires that we had that continue to play out over and over again, leading us into temptation, leading us into evil, those things begin to change and they begin to fade because Jesus begins to be the one who's encouraging us. In the place of prayer, I've received so much encouragement from God. In the place of prayer, I receive instruction from God as I'm listening to him and he's speaking to my heart. And I also receive correction from God. And correction isn't something to be afraid of. It's something to be welcomed. Because the way I was living my life before, it wasn't working. The evil that I was living out before isn't what I want to do. It's not what God's called me to be. I need correction continually and daily. And I'll continue to need that until the day that I die and I enter into eternity. Don't despise correction from God. Don't reject it. Welcome it like you welcome a friend. And let it deeply change you. David said this. When he's praying, he says, Search my heart, O God. Know me. Show me if there's any wickedness inside of my heart. Because what he wants to do is to have God continue to identify those things, instruct him, and bring correction to him so that he can be more like Jesus. And the more we pray, the more we become like him. The more time we spend with Jesus, the more we become the image of him to the world that's around us. This week I've been thinking a lot about what I want 2018 to be like for me. And a lot of that is, what's the mark that I want to leave on this earth? What do I want my life to accomplish? And the thing that I want more than anything else is I want to get to the point where when people are around me, they're blown away by how good God is. When people are around me, I don't care what they think about me because I'm going to die. I'm a flawed individual, all these other things. I can't change your life. Be encouraged. But Jesus can. 
And when you're around me, what I want, by the time that I leave this earth, I want it to be that when someone's around me, it's like what they said to the disciples. He was a common and uneducated man. He was simple, all of these other things. But he'd been with Jesus. The disciples turned the world upside down. They went out and they preached the gospel. They started churches. They led people to Jesus. They saw freedom come. They saw healing come, reconciliation. And it wasn't because of who they were. It wasn't because of their gifting. It wasn't because of their natural abilities and talents. It wasn't because they built a platform for themselves. It wasn't because their life was about themselves. It was because they spent time with Jesus. And when you spend time with Jesus, it marks you. It transforms you. It changes you into his likeness. And when you start being like Jesus, the rest of the world starts to take notice. The world doesn't need more Christians. The world needs more people who are filled with the power of God. The world needs more people who have been changed and transformed, not because they have a mental declaration, but because the power of the living God is hosted inside of their lives. Because they've been so transformed and so changed into the image of God that when they walk by, there's something different about them. And they look at you and they say, that person's been with Jesus. Every one of you can do that. Every single one of you. It's the way that you were created to be. That's the default setting for your life. When we look at the garden, it says that God came and he walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the evening. Adam and Eve hosted God. And through the cross, that's been made available to us again. Now the Holy Spirit has been given to us as a gift. We can host the presence of God in our life. But we need to allow him to transform us. We need to allow him to change us. We need to allow the, the Holy Spirit to be the mark that defines who we are in the world that's around us. And the only way you're going to get to that place of where people look at you and they say, that person's been with Jesus is when you spend time with him in the place of prayer. So what you were created for, it's what's going to move your faith forward. It's what's going to change you more than anything else. But it requires making a decision and developing the discipline inside of your life. This is what my prayer time looks like. This is a good little model for you if you're wanting to get started in prayer. First, you need to find a time. You say, this is the time every day that I have where I'm going to spend this 20 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever it is, where I'm going to pray. And I'm going to guard it because if I don't, work's going to happen, kids are going to happen, Facebook's going to happen, like you're going to run out of time in your day. But you need to guard a place, to find a place where you're going to pray. And you just pray like Jesus said, I'm going to start out by connecting with God relationally. God, you're my Father. I want to know you. I spend time worshiping. That's how I start every time I pray. I pray, God, I'm here to meet with you. Will you speak to me? Will you reveal yourself to me? And I just worship. I throw on songs in Spotify, Pandora, whatever it is. And I just worship and I just focus. That's that holy is your name. That's the worship part of it. Because I just want to spend time thinking about and putting all of my focus and attention on who Jesus is, how good he is, how beautiful, how just, how full of mercy and grace he is, and recognizing and acknowledging him for that, adoring him for that. And then after I've worshipped him and built relationship with him, then I move into that time of petition. And I start with myself. I say, God, move on my heart. 
God, forgive me. It's a time of repentance for me. Forgive me for these sin issues in my life, what I'm struggling with. Jesus, change me. Renew me. Renew a right spirit inside of me. Make me like you, Jesus. Give me strength to overcome temptation. Jesus, give me that I have to make. God, give me provision. And then I pray for my wife and for my children. There are things about their hearts that I know because they're in my family. And I'm praying for those things for them. I pray for my friends and for my family. I pray for Radiant Church and for all of you that are in it. I pray for our city. I pray for our government officials. I pray for the nations around the world. I pray for the missionaries. I pray for the global church. I pray for the sick and the needy and the oppressed. But I have a journal and I write things in it. This is, these are the things that I'm praying for. These are the things that I'm believing God for. I'm going to petition God for. And I'll keep coming after him and saying, God, this doesn't line up with your kingdom. This doesn't line up with your will. And I'm going to pray for your kingdom to come and to break through into this world. I'm going to pray for your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm going to keep doing it until I see the breakthrough, until I see you face to face, either way. And then after I'm done praying and interceding, I take some more time where I say, God, I've said a lot of things. Would you speak to me now? What is it that you want to say to me? Because we can hear him speak to us. Jesus says, I'm the shepherd and my sheep hear me. You were created to be able to hear the voice of God speaking to you. The most profound things that God's ever spoken to me have been in the place of prayer. There's sometimes where I just enjoy his presence. He doesn't want to say anything, or maybe I'm not hearing, but I still enjoy his presence. And I still create the opportunity and the quietness for him to be able to speak into my life. If you can just come up with a model of prayer like that, it'll change your life. Because you're going to find reward. You're going to find relationship with your father. You're going to petition him for the things that you need to sustain life and to fulfill the call that he has on you that otherwise you wouldn't receive, otherwise you'd remain stuck in. You're going to have revelation of the will of God and what the kingdom of God is like. You're going to see him move miraculously. And you're going to become like him. That's worth praying for. That's worth developing a discipline for. Jesus, in this room... Would you stir up a holy conviction? A holy conviction of the reward that there is in seeking after you in prayer. That it's not just my words, it's not just my encouragement, that they would hear your voice speaking to them, calling them to pray. God, would you stir up a hunger and a desire inside of us to know you as our Father? Jesus, would you stir up a boldness and a faith to approach your throne to petition you for the things that we need? Jesus, would you develop perseverance inside of our heart that we wouldn't grow weary in it? God, that we wouldn't allow doubt to come in and to cause us to stop, but that we continue to press in, we continue to press on to seek after you. And Jesus, we pray that we would be transformed by your power in our life, that the more time we spend with you, the more that we look like you, the more time we spend with you, the more encouragement and instruction and correction we receive with you. And Jesus, we pray that you would so powerfully move in our hearts God, that when other people see us, that they would say, these people have been with Jesus. That we would be the model and the demonstration of your heart. That we would be the model, the demonstration, the testimony of your power to save and to transform. That when other people see us, Jesus, that they would want you.
for your glory. And Jesus, we pray that that would be something that changes our city, that as the people of Radiant Church, as the people of the church in the city of Ann Arbor, as we become more like you through the place of prayer, God, that other people would be drawn to it, that they would be attracted to it, Jesus, and that revival would spark in our land, that people would come before you and say, you are worthy, Jesus, and that we see an entire generation in our city that falls on their knees before you to lift up your name, an entire city turning to God, and that you would come and dwell amongst us, that you would be our God, and that we would be your people in the city of Ann Arbor. We believe you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm going to call my prayer partners forward. It's going to be on the outside and the front here. And if there's anything that we can pray with you about, if you need some provision, if you need some wisdom, encouragement, whatever it might be, Come, let us pray for you. Jesus does miracles every single week because he's a good father who nothing is impossible for. If not, go drink some coffee, meet some friends, come up with your prayer plan, and we'll see you next week. God bless.